0: Amen. Good to see all of you. Thanks for being here on this cloudy, rainy day. But the sunshine of God is shining in here this morning. A couple of reminders, especially for our men. Don't forget about the men's retreat coming up. Go out there, talk to Woody, sign up for that. Woody also has information on the Greg Laurie crusade that's coming to the valley uh, in June as well that our church is going to be a part of. If you'd like to be a part of that, talk to uh, him about that as well. Next weekend, uh, many of our ladies in our church are going to be on their women's retreat, and that's a great thing. But one of the things that that is doing is pulling a couple of the workers from Crystal's ministry and our children's ministry out next week. So I'm asking on her behalf if there are any men and women here that could just fill a gap for a week, next Sunday to help Crystal out, would you step up, step forward and go over and talk to Crystal and say, hey I could volunteer for a week uh, you know next Sunday to help you out over here in the children's ministry? Last night we had many of our leaders of our church gathered together and uh, there were many reasons why we needed to get them together. Uh, And I'll just say this, we had a great time of prayer praying over you all uh, last night and praying over our church family. But one of the things that I wanted to inform them of and then wanted to inform you of today is this. And yes, it's actually getting so close that it's feeling real now. But Our goal is to begin construction around May 1st. So we're talking a couple months away. Yeah. So with that said, as I shared last week, for those of you that can and want to be a part of it, the first Sunday of March, after the morning service, We're asking that you uh, allow some time in your schedule extra that Sunday to head over with us to the property on Greenfield and Queen Creek. And we're going to pray over that property that day and let some of you have a prayer walk around that property. We are going to mark that uh, land off for God. And we are dedicating that land to God and saying, God, this is your land. This is going to be your church. This is going to be your community. And uh, we're just going to turn that all over to the Lord that day. Then the first Sunday of May, a couple months later, right around the time the ground and all of that's going to be moving over there. We want to take everyone over after the morning service uh, the first Sunday of May and get a picture of everyone at the church on that property before it gets torn up too much to where you know, we won't be able to do that. So a lot of exciting things are happening and we really are getting close. A couple months away and you'll be able to see the ground and the buildings and all of that going up. With that said, as I shared last week, we not only need your prayer support and and your, your continued ministry and investment in this church in a spiritual way, but physically. Those of you that have been thinking, praying about giving to the building fund, now would be a great time to say, Lord, what would you have me or my family to do to help us get to that place? Um, So uh, just want to encourage you in that way as well. And then one other thing, uh, as I shared last week, we've been having great attendance on Wednesday night, and I just want to throw this out. This Wednesday, we are going to be talking about living in the power of God's presence. Um, And just as Nicole was sharing or whatever, I hope we all realize here today as we sit here in this auditorium that Jesus is here. Jesus is with us right now. And there's something very powerful about living in the presence uh, of God's or living in the power of God's presence. And what does that look like? And we're going to be talking about that on Wednesday night. We want to continue our series through the gospel of Mark this morning. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Mark chapter 8, beginning at verse 27. Mark chapter 8, verse 27. In this passage, we're going to look at this morning. Jesus wants to clarify some things to his followers. It's not that up to this point, Jesus hasn't been open or plain or clear about who he is and what he has come to do. But now it seems like there's sort of a little bit of a a transition, if you will, in the gospel of Mark. And at this point in Jesus' ministry, he's sort of laying aside the teaching of parables. And he's really just going to speak very openly, very clearly, very plainly because he, he wants in no uncertain terms For those who are following him, or even those who are interested in him, but maybe they haven't chosen to follow him yet, or to be a believer in him, that he wants in no uncertain terms to put it out there very clearly who he is, and what he's all about, and why he came to this earth in the first place. So... Beginning in chapter 8, verse 27, we see that the first thing Jesus does here with his followers is he wants to clarify his identity. The Bible says that as they were going to the towns of Caesarea Philippi, which that's very significant. Why did Jesus choose this time to sort of clarify some things? Well, again, if you study and read about the history of Caesarea Philippi, it was a hodgepodge of religion. I mean, it was a very religious city, but obviously most of what people were worshiping in Caesarea Philippi... Was false. They, they weren't worshiping the one true living God. Y- yet there were you know, monuments and temples to every other, you know, so-called God in the world at that time in Caesarea Philippi. So I think it's very significant that the Bible says, as they were approaching Caesarea Philippi, that Jesus turns to his followers and he begins by asking them a very probing question. He says. Who do people say that I am? And of course, he began to get responses. Well, some say, you know, you're Elijah, come back. And some say, you're John the Baptist, come back. And, and some say that you're just a, a great teacher and a great prophet and all of that. And all of those responses are obviously less, much less than who Jesus really is. And then the Bible says that Jesus goes from a probing question to a very personal one. And in the Bible, when it says Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? It's in the idea that he has been continually asking them. And that it is a very personal thing. I'm not asking you who others say that I am now. I'm asking you. Who do you say that I am? And the answer to that question that all of us as human beings give is really the most important answer to any question we will ever give. You understand that, right? Because the answer that we give to that question will determine our eternal destiny. That's how important that question. There is no answer. To any question that we could ever be asked that is more important than the answer to that question. And because of who Jesus is, it demands an answer, it requires an answer. No human being who is ever born into this world will ever be able to go through life and eternity without coming to some conclusion personally about who Jesus is, who they believe that he is. Now the Bible records that Peter said, Jesus, you are the Christ. Matthew adds, the son of the living God. Peter said, I believe, Jesus, that you are the Messiah. You are the anointed one of God. You are God come in the flesh. Good answer, Peter. Good answer. Now, Jesus goes on in other gospels to say that you didn't come up with that yourself. You were helped to get to that place through the agency of, of the Holy Spirit of God and my Father. But, good answer, Peter, right answer. That is who I am. I am the Messiah. I am the anointed one of God. I am God come in the flesh. Do you believe that this morning? Have you come to a determination about who Jesus is. And you realize that even if you say, well, I'm never going to commit myself one way or another to who Jesus is, that that's an answer. That's an answer. And that's why the Bible says that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father, all of us have to wrestle in our life with who Jesus is. Have we, like Peter, given the right answer? Have we made a personal commitment? It's not enough for us to say, well, this person and that person believes in you. It's about who do you think Jesus is? Who do you think Jesus is? And every one of us, Again, gives an answer to that question. Now, very interestingly, the Bible also says before we move on in the passage... ...that Jesus commanded them not to spread this around. And again, you're thinking, why would Jesus do it? Didn't Peter give the right answer? Yes. But because Jesus is God and knows all things... ...Jesus knew that though that answer was right... Not only did Peter, but all the other disciples at this point had a very incomplete understanding of who Jesus was. And it would be very damaging to Jesus and his ministry to have them go out at this point and know some of who Jesus was, but not to have a complete picture of who Jesus is and why he came. And we're going to see exactly why Jesus said that. In the next part of the passage, because then as you come up to the next part, Jesus not only clarifies his identity, but Jesus clarifies his mission, his mission. You see this beginning in verse 31 of chapter eight, where Jesus again lays it out very plainly. He says, I have come and that the I must It's of necessity. That's a key word. I must suffer many things. I must be rejected by the religious leaders of Israel and the religious establishment. I must die and I must be raised from the dead. Now, two, when we hear verses like that in the Bible... Many times we just sort of narrow in and go, well, I know when Jesus says he must suffer, that we primarily just sort of limit that to, that to that passion week, if you will, where Jesus was betrayed and he was arrested and he was scourged and he was given a crown of thorns and his beard was plucked out and he was nailed to a cross and all that. But let's not forget that really from the time that Jesus left heaven, even being born in Bethlehem, he started to experience suffering in this way. Remember when he was in heaven before Bethlehem, he was every moment there, he was adored, he was worshiped, he was glorified, he was treated for who he was. And the moment that he left heaven, he began to suffer under less opinions of who he really was than who he really is. That's suffering. That's suffering. And so it really his whole life was a life of suffering. He never was looked upon. He never was treated. He never was worshipped. He never was adored. He never was looked at. All the time he was on earth like he had been for eternity in heaven. He was clarifying his mission. He says, Followers of mine, I did not come here to be set up as some rival king to the Roman Empire. I did not come to gather some large throng and overtake the Roman Empire. I came to suffer. I came to die in your place. I came to take your sin upon myself. I came to take the penalty that is due all of us for being rebellious against a holy God. And I am taking all of that, all of your sin, all of your failures, all of your wrongdoing on myself. I am going to become your lamb that has led to that slaughter. I'm going to take it all on myself so that all who believe in me never have to worry about that sin problem ever again. That I will make things right between a holy God and a sinful people. I will be that bridge, if you will. I will be that one mediator that can bridge the gap, that large gap between the holiness of God and the sinfulness of men. That's why I'm coming here, you see. Now, this is one of those times in the scripture where I just, I would have loved to have been there. Because the Bible says, and I know this like, really? Yeah, it really happened. Because Mark and Peter were like this. In fact, most people believe that that Mark got most of his material from Peter. And notice what the Bible says happens at this point. It says Peter grabs a hold of God. I mean, you, you might not get that in the English translation, but in the original, that's exactly. He grabs a hold of Jesus, jerks him over here and begins to rebuke him. There is no way, Jesus, we're ever going to let that happen. You can't. You can't do this. God forbid. And notice that here's a man who's zealous for God, but he's zealously wrong. And he's such a great illustration of even many followers of Christ today who are such roller coaster Christians. Because we just saw that just a few minutes ago, man, he nailed it. He was right on. He was right there with God. His mind was aligned with God. And then a few minutes later, he is crashing and burning. He is literally standing in the way of God. Which is why Jesus looks at all the other disciples around him and says to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. Which means adversary. Opponent. Jesus is basically saying, what is coming out of your mouth now, Peter, is in opposition to the ways, word, and will of God. You are now, instead of an instrument of God, you are now being an instrument of Satan because you are trying to stop me from going to the cross. And Peter, what if there is no cross? What if there is no blood of mine shed on that tree? What if there is no atonement or redemption? Where will you be, Peter, and where will everybody else in humanity be if you stop me from going there? And we know that the devil certainly wanted to stop Jesus from going there. And at this moment, he was using Peter as an opponent. That's why Jesus said, I don't want you guys going out yet telling others who I am because you don't have the full picture yet. Your mind, Jesus goes on to say, is not aligned with the mind of God. Your mind is on earthly things. Men's interests, not on the interests of God. And Jesus here is reminding all of us of the importance of, of having our mind renewed by God through his spirit and in his word. Because you and I, even as followers of God, so often, just like Peter, can come at life and the things of life and the circumstances of life and even the ways of God. And we can try to understand them through human reasoning. Well, really? No, we can't. That's why many Christians, in a sense, sometimes are disillusioned with God and confused about God. Because they're trying to understand God and his ways through human reasoning. It never works. Because that's why the Bible said, God even said, my ways are not going to be like your ways. If you try to understand me through your humanness, through, through looking at things through an earthly perspective, you will never understand me. Just like Peter said, God, how can, how can you die? How can we even allow this to happen? This doesn't make sense. And it doesn't to human beings. It makes no sense. Because Peter was not looking at life at this point and following Christ at this point and even who Jesus was this, at this point from a heavenly perspective. He was looking at things from an earthly perspective. And maybe some of you today, You have come here and part of the clarity that you need to have is because you need to understand that part of maybe your confusion and your disillusionment and your discouragement and all of that is you are still looking at things in your life and things around you from an earthly perspective and through human reasoning rather than through God's perspective and God's reasoning. And when we do that, it doesn't make a lot of sense most of the time. Because the way God works is not the way the world works. It is not the way that you and I would choose to do things. And that's part of why Jesus at this point not only needed to clarify his identity, he needed to clarify his mission. He needed to tell them once and for all, I've got to die and it's actually going to be a good thing for you. If I don't die, you are lost forever with no hope, no savior, no way of forgiveness, no way back to God. If you keep me from the cross, you keep yourself from the very God that loves you so much that that's why I'm here to begin with. And then Jesus said, Beginning in verse 34, clarifies his calling. His calling upon others. When he says, I came not just to bring human beings into a relationship with God, not just to bring you to a point where you believe that I'm the Christ, the Son of the living God, the Messiah, God come in the flesh. But I am coming to call human beings to follow me. And there's a difference between being a Christian and being a disciple or follower of Jesus Christ. And yet, I know for years, I, I did not see many Christians ever making that distinction in their own life and mind. They thought it was one and the same. To be a Christian was to be a follower, to be a disciple of Christ. No. No. And and can I just, that's probably the greatest motivation of why God led me to write the devotional that I wrote, digging into discipleship. That whole year devotional was trying to get Christians to understand there's a difference between being a Christian and just believing in Jesus and being a disciple or a follower of Jesus. Big difference. There are many Christians, many, many people that sincerely believe that Jesus is the Christ. But there's not a lot of true, committed, devoted followers. Why? Because notice what Jesus says here, beginning in verse 34. He says, if someone wants to follow me, he must, she must deny themselves. Well, we live in a world today that says, well, I want to indulge myself. I want to say yes to everything myself wants. In fact, isn't that the way I find myself? By by giving myself whatever I want? Isn't that how I find who I really am? Discover me? Jesus says, no, again, your way is not the right way. There's a way that might seem right to a man, the Bible says, but the end thereof is the ways of death. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Lean not into our own understanding. That was Peter's problem. He was approaching things from his own understanding. So Jesus says, I'm calling you to follow me, not just believe in me. I'm calling you to deny yourself. In fact, I'm calling you to take up your cross and die to self. You know, even when Jesus was here, that's why a lot of people said, oh, sorry, Jesus, that following stuff's not for me. But here's why it's so important that we come to a, to a place where we are willing to follow. Because Jesus goes on to say, what good is it if one human being gains everything that the world has to offer them but loses their own soul? Or as the Net Bible translates it, forfeits our own life. Jesus says, can anyone give anything in exchange for a soul? One soul? Not all of human, not the billions of people on the planet. One soul. So if you and I were the only soul on earth, Jesus would look at it this way. Here's the scales, the balance scales. I'm putting all the world and all that it has to offer on this side of the scale. And I'm putting your one soul on the other side of the scale. And Jesus is saying, you realize that the whole world, everything that it offers is not as valuable as your one soul. And then Jesus tells us the only way we will ever discover our soul. Is to forfeit our life. And follow him. You say well what's my soul? Our soul. Is the unique. Distinct. Identity. That Jesus created us with. When he made us. And knit us together. In our mother's womb. And only the creator. Knows what our unique. Distinct. Identity is is. And so Jesus is saying something here very important and very profound. He's saying you and I, even as those who believe in Him and who have accepted Him as our Savior, will never come to understand and know what our unique and distinct identity is if we choose not to follow Him in our life. Because it's only in being A follower, a faithful follower over time, denying ourselves, saying no to self, dying to self and following him, abandoning everything for him. Because that's what Jesus demands of his followers. He demands everything. Our very life. He says, do you realize that when you're willing to give up your life and follow me, you'll find yourself. You'll finally find yourself. See, again, even most Christians, this like, like the commercial, it's like that blows up. Because, again, we come at things from a worldly perspective and human reasoning. No, no, Jesus, you're wrong. Just like Peter. I'm bringing you, I'm dragging you over here, Jesus, in the corner. I'm going to give you a piece of my mind because that just doesn't make sense. How can I find myself and who I really am by giving up myself and following you? Again, the ways of God and the ways that he works do not make sense when we're looking at things from human reasoning, from an earthly perspective, which is why we have to get to a place where we trust him. Where we believe in Him, in His identity, in His mission, and in His calling in our life. Let me ask you a question this morning. Do you know? Do you know what your unique, distinct identity is that God created you with? Because if you don't, the answer is very clear. (laughs) Jesus says, Follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross daily. And you'll find yourself. And to Jesus, there's nothing more valuable than you. Your soul, your one soul is more valuable than what all the world could ever offer. Because everything that the world can offer us will never fulfill and satisfy us and never lead us to the place where we truly find out who we really were and who we were created to be by our creator. The world didn't create us. The world might want to shape us, but the world didn't create us. Only Jesus created us. We need to go back to the creator and find out our calling. And then finally, in this passage, I want to take you over to chapter 9 for the last few minutes. To verse 14. Where Jesus clarifies not only in this passage his identity, his mission, his calling, but here his ability. I love this story. It's so great for us. It's such a great encouragement to us as followers of Christ. And here's why. They come down off the Mount of Transfiguration, which by again is just another reaffirmation or reassurance of who Jesus is. The father's voice said, this is my one true son. Listen to him. So, again, his identity was being reaffirmed there. But they they come down off the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus and Peter and James and John. And all of a sudden, Jesus and the rest of those disciples, they they see the commotion of the other disciples that didn't go up on the mount with him. And they're arguing with all these people in the town. And Jesus says, what's all the commotion about? And this man speaks up and he says, well, Jesus, he says, my son has been demon-possessed for a long time with, with a demonic spirit that renders him mute and has even tried to kill him on many occasions. And I brought my son to your disciples for help. And the Bible says, here was the testimony of this man. They were not able to do anything. In fact, you read that verse there in verse 18. Eight of the saddest words in the Bible they were not able to do so. Now, wait a minute. Did not we read and study earlier that Jesus gave these very people the power to heal and cast out demons and all of that? Did he not give them power? Yeah. So why all of a sudden are they powerless? And can I say, that when we, the church, are powerless, when we as individual believers in Jesus Christ live a powerless life, when we, like the, the uh, people that Paul wrote about in 2 Timothy, have, a, have an outward form of religion but have repudiated its power, that we literally are a bad reflection on God. We literally are living, as in a sense, as a slap in the face of God. Because God does not want His church or His people to be powerless. He does not want us to to be like His disciples here. And that they were not able to do anything. That is a sad commentary. Because you and I, as followers of God, are to be a reflection of Him. And our God is a God of might and strength and power. There's nothing stronger than him. So when the people of God live such powerless, weak lives, we really are a bad reflection on our God. So Jesus has some more interaction with the Father here. He asks some more questions, and then the Father says to Jesus, in verse 22, I believe, Jesus, I came to you, and if you are able, please have compassion on us and help us. Notice here that the Father, even at this point, is not questioning Jesus' willingness to help. He's questioning Jesus' ability. He says, if you are able... And Jesus turns to the Father in verse 23 and says, If you are able, all things are possible to the one who believes. Jesus turns it right around. By the way, the word able here means to be empowered or enabled by God. So listen to what Jesus is saying. He said, To those of us who are enabled or empowered by God, all things are possible if we believe. Now let me say this, let me clarify something here too. We live in a world of the health and wealth gospel, the false gospel. And we live in a world of false teachers and false preachers who who go out there and basically tell followers like you that if you just have enough faith, all things are possible for you. Without comparing scripture with scripture and coming to a proper interpretation. So let me say, first of all, what this verse and what the words of Jesus do not mean. It does not mean to Jeff Royce, that if Jeff Royce had enough faith and really believed in God, that right now I could transport myself from this place in the universe to someplace else in the universe. That's not what it means. It does not mean that if Jeff Royce really believed in God hard enough, that I would wake up tomorrow with $10 million in my bank account. That's not what it means. It does not mean that Jeff Royce, if I just believed in God more, I'd wake up tomorrow morning with a full head of hair. Although I got to tell you, I've sort of gotten attached to my baldness. So what does it mean then? Because this is important. If Jesus said, if you are able, all things are possible to the one who believes, it means this. It means that Anything and everything that life brings our way. We can deal with. We can navigate. We can rise above the circumstances when we allow ourselves to be enabled and empowered by God. In fact, if you were listening to the prayer of Nicole before the message, that's exactly what she was reiterating. Doing all things through Christ who strengthens us. Staying connected to God so that With him, all things are possible. It it means that anything that God wants to place in my responsibility, I'll be able to handle because I am enabled and empowered by him. So some of you here today, you're going through a season of life where you're struggling. And God is saying to you, If you allow me to enable and empower you every day, to pour my power into you, to be strengthened by me, the almighty God, the omnipotent God, then you will be able to handle and deal with whatever life brings your way. In fact, even in this case, I think he was saying to the father at this point, before he cast out the demon out of his son, that even if I choose not to cast this demon out of your son, sir, you, if you believe in me, you will have the enablement and empowerment to deal with a son who's in this condition, just as you have up to this point in your life. Somehow you'll be able to navigate this season. Because I will give you the enablement and empowerment. And then I think what the father says next is something that we all can relate to in verse 25, 22, 23, 24. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Yes, he believed to a point. Why? Because he brought his son to the disciples and to Jesus. He didn't yet believe that Jesus was able, but he, he at least had enough belief, if you will, to go, I think Jesus can help me somehow, some way. So I'm bringing my son to Jesus, but he says to Jesus, but Jesus, you got to come to my rescue. You got to supply urgently needed help because there's a gap between what I believe about you and who you are and your ability and what, what maybe you can do. So help fill that gap in my life, Jesus. Jesus asked a few more questions and then commanded the demonic spirit to come out of his son. Let me get to the sort of the climax or crux of the story, if you will. After Jesus cast out the demon out of this boy, the Bible says that later on that day, he and his disciples make their way into a house and have a little privacy. And it was in that moment of privacy that his disciples who were unable to cast out that demon earlier, says to Jesus, Jesus, why couldn't we cast him out? Why couldn't we do it? We had the ability to do it earlier and now we've gotten to a place where we couldn't. And Jesus' response is very insightful and very important. He says to them, this kind can only come out by prayer. You know what Jesus is saying there? See, prayer is the exercise that you and I give in our life to acknowledge our need and dependence and reliance upon God. Prayerlessness equals powerlessness. Because it is when we pray, when we come to God and say, God, I can't do this on my own. I need you. I need your power. I need your strength. That we are actively showing God, I am relying on you, God. I'm depending on you. I'm not trying to do this in my own power. The reason why the disciples failed, the reason why they were powerless, is they got to a place in their own ministry for the Lord. That they began to try to do things in their own power and strength rather rather than continue to rely on Jesus for the strength and power that they needed. Just like many followers today, they are not able to deal with things in life. They're not able to handle the circumstances of life life gets too big and too great for them. The pressure of life begins to press in on them and they begin to crack and they begin to crumble and they begin to break down spiritually, emotionally and physically and they begin to turn to all these self-destructive coping mechanisms and they can't deal with life. Why? Because they're still trying to deal with it without prayer and without the power of God and without relying and depending on God every day. They're trying to deal with life on their own. And when you and I do that, we won't be able to either. We will not be able to meet the demands of life apart from God. But Jesus, in this passage, is saying, but supernatural power is available to you. You can do all things through me if I am strengthening you. You just need to come to me And ask and show that reliance and dependence upon me. And if you do that, if you do that, then all things are possible to you who believe in me. Let's pray. God, I ask today that you would take this passage where Jesus clarifies his identity, his mission his calling, his ability. And God, that you would work in our church and work in our lives and bring us to a place, God, where we truly abandon ourselves to you and follow you and believe in you like never before. Because I believe, God, that you want to take all of us to a place with you that we've never been before. You want us as a people of God, a church, to cross over our Jordan and go to unprecedented places with you. But in order to do that, God, we've got to believe. We've got to be willing to follow. And we've got to believe in you enough that we believe all things are possible to us if we believe. Jesus is saying to us today, do you believe in me? Who do you say that I am? May we take down any barrier, any wall right now between us and our God. And may we invite God to come in and say, God, you do whatever you want to do in my life right now. Unleash your Holy Spirit into my life, God. I put no no parameters around you. I'm not going to write the script for you, God. You come into my life. You invade my life. And you do, God, what you want. I give you permission, God, to come in. And do whatever you choose to do, whatever you want to do. I just want to follow, God. I believe. Just help my unbelief. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me? Before we sing, let me give this specific invitation to those who are here today. Maybe there's someone here this morning and you have never clearly, plainly, openly said, I believe, Jesus, you are the Christ. You are God come into flesh. That's who you are. I believe in you. And I want to nail that down today. I want to put a marker, if you will, in my life today. I want to invite you that if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, you have never really made a personal connection with Jesus and that you have a personal relationship with Him. Would you come today and let one of us take you, pray with you, seal that deal today. Don't leave here without knowing for sure that Jesus is your Savior. Second, is there someone here today that would say, I'm a Christian, but I want to seal the deal of being a follower of Jesus Christ. I want this day to be a marker in my life where I, before God and before God, I say no to self. I am willing to die to self to take up my cross. And Jesus, I am willing to be your father. I have decided today to follow you, Jesus, no matter what it means. Giving up everything of mine to discover who you made me to be. I will follow you. And then finally, is there someone here today? You're in a tough situation like that father was of that demon-possessed son. You're going through a season of life where whew, it's, it's hard. And you just needed to be encouraged and reminded today that all things are possible to the one who believes. That Jesus has all the power ever. And that if you and I just prayerfully come to him and humble ourselves before him, that he will exalt us with his mighty hand and lift us up and give us that power that we need to navigate whatever season we are in. For however long we have to. Because we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Maybe someone here today says, Jesus, I believe, but I'm coming today to sort of market, help my unbelief. Bridge that gap, Lord, between where I am now with you and where I need to be so that I can keep going, keep enduring, keep persevering for you. Would you come? Would you come as we sing the greatness of our God?